Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Free Art Bonus Podcast. Welcome in. It's another episode. You've unlocked your bonus content. You pre-ordered the game six months ago for $69.99. No, this isn't a PlayStation game, so oh. it's uh, it's only $59.99. Brutal. And you ordered it on Amazon, so it was only <laughs> like forty like like forty fifty four ninety nine. I don't even know anymore. No, welcome into the podcast. It's me, Cameron Warren, joined as always by my co-host Jacob Price. It's two dudes talking about video games, breaking them down, analyzing them, uh, so that you don't have to. You know, if if you want to have, you're sitting around, you're thinking about a game that you just played, or you're thinking about a game you might want to play, and you're wanting to know the ins and outs and the breakdowns of the different components to figure out if you'd like it, or just want to hear talk about it more. You've come to the right place. That's what we do here, right, Jake? That's exactly what we do. We've been doing this for quite a long time now. I think we're in, I don't know, year two. Have we done two years of this? We're coming up on our 100th episode. So that makes me think we've been doing this a long time. Um, And it's been a lot of fun. And we've been talking about a lot of games. Um, The game we're talking about today, Disco Elysium, I'm really, really excited to talk about. Cameron's been bugging me for a few months. I had seen it and I was like, yeah, this looks good. I don't know. Finally, I was able to like snag it on Epic Store for eight bucks. So I was like, okay, let's do this. It's going to be a great game. Excited to (laughs) chat about it. Yeah, I know you were on a little little on the fence there, but I I knew this one, I think I I knew this one would be up your alley and I think it turned out to be something you really really enjoyed i think we'll hear more about that but well jake what are you playing right now it's uh we are we're two days away from february and i'm already seeing i mean we have pokemon legends Ar- arceus is out arceus arceus i don't know even... it's arceus it's a hard c is it arceus okay yeah arceus is out the first game of the f- of the probably biggest february in gaming history no question about it. What are you playing right now? Um, I am playing through Batman Arkham uh, City. It's going to be our next episode to talk about. I have some mixed feelings, so it's going to be kind of strange. Cameron's usually the one who's more willing to be the naysayer when it comes to like, popular games. Um, you, you guys all remember when we talked about The Witcher 3 at the beginning of each episode for like three, four, five months. Uh, that might be me about Batman. Um, I'm over halfway through it. I just finished a really significant boss fight, and I really did not like it at all, the boss fight. <laughs> um, so I've been playing that in preparation for next week's episode. Um, I got Pokemon uh, Legend Arceus, and so I've played really just a tiny bit of it. I've really made it through the tutorial, which unlike, I'm excuse me, like too many Pokemon games. The tutorial is just awful and way too long. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> man, it's so bad. And then I'm finally going to dip into my backlog, and I'm going to start Red Dead Redemption 1 as soon as I'm done with Batman. And I'm really excited to do that. Um, for people who are new to the podcast, maybe haven't been listening that long, um, I loved Red Dead Redemption 2. I played that when it came out, but I had never played Red Dead Redemption 1. And so for me, I'm really excited to play Red Dead Redemption 1 now because I'm playing the games chronologically. And so I'm going to come into RDR1 with all of this history 
Um, I know that Arthur Morgan's never going to get mentioned, which I think is a shame, but you know, that's just how it happened. But yeah, I'm really excited to, to listen to that story, sort of knowing who all these characters are, um, for the most part. Yeah. That's where I'm at. What are you playing? What are you doing? Um, I mean, that sounds, first off, that sounds like a great list. I mean, I, you know, Batman's a tough one. I think a lot of people hold Batman high in, in their hearts. And also, Jake, you're not a Batman fan, right? <laughs> so that that doesn't necessarily help this 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 uh, no. this mission. See, I, I'm I'm nope. not like the biggest Batman fan ever, but I do really like the character. Uh, and so, from that perspective, I really, it also has the combat system that's been adopted by pretty much every action game since that game came out. Oh, it's yeah. it kind of started the like counter based sort of heavy like. I mean, it's kind of it's in so many games i, I just I, it, like it's in basically every game at this point the the batman combat system so anyway yeah. nostalgia goggles on from that perspective um mm-hmm. no jake i'm gonna i'm in a slump uh yet again this happens to me all the time i just it's i'm a big something that i've realized is that i i really play games for the story like nine times out of ten and yeah. so if a story does not hit me really hard it's hard for me to stick around. Even if the, the mechanics of the game are really excellent, it's just tough for me to stick around. And so what I end up doing is just replaying old stuff that I already played because it has... Wait a second. Are you replaying Uncharted? Is this where this is leading to, Cameron? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm actually not, <laughs> although the, I, I'm definitely going to pick up that collection because if you already own one of the game like any of the games lost lost legacy or four you get that enhanced edition for 10 bucks so yeah do it. i mean that's okay. one of my I favorite interrupted games. You. but anyways no i've been replaying jedi fallen order again oh and it's nice. i've been playing it on jedi grandmaster mode which i beat it the first time on on, on jedi master but then there's a grandmaster mm. which is like the super hard difficulty which i started probably a year and a half ago, like a long time ago. So I've, I'm finishing mm-hmm. that game up again. I've been even playing, I went back and played God of War again because it came out on PC recently and I saw everyone mm-hmm. dipping back into it for, for the first time on PC. And I was like, oh man, that's a good game. I should go. Anyway, I've got so many games in my backlog. I just, for whatever reason, I just bounce off stuff, man. I, I don't know. I've got yeah. a problem. You know, it's my goal to play God of War this year because I could play it now on pc um but the thing is is we've hit february (laughs) and so like even just like telling myself yeah i'm gonna go play red dead redemption one right now like so much is happening i know cameron and i were both really excited about sifu and that is next week you know as of the recording of this podcast (laughs) a week and a half week and a half okay a little more time right um so my goal is to play God of War soon. I don't know when I'm going to get it. I don't know when I'm going to play it. But my guess would be, I don't know. I'd love to get to it like in March or April or something. I mean, I'll admit I was on the fence, but I I picked up, I did pick up Pokemon. What? You did? I did. And I did start it. I played about two hours today. Did you play the digital? Did you buy digital or physical? I bought digital because I'm lazy, man. I used to do what you do. <coughs> I used to, I was actually hardcore, like what you do with your eBay strategy. I used to do that yeah. hardcore, <laughs> like every game 
I was selling back and I was, I essentially just had a rotating door and I yeah. had like, a, I had actually had an eBay profile with like a really high ranking. And so I was able to like sell tons of stuff on there. Like one year before, like after I graduated master school, I was like, I really want to buy an Xbox, like a new Xbox at the time. I can't yeah. remember if it was like a PS4. I was like, so I went out, I just found all this crap around my house and like sold it on eBay. Anyway, that's how I bought one. Um, very nice. No, anyway, po- Pokemon is uh interesting. I think I'm going to play more. <laughs> I think I'm going to play more. I'm actually sort of intrigued by it. Um I just hope that it seems like there's a little bit of a grindiness to it and I'm hoping that I'll be able to get around that, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my experience so far and like I said, I really don't have too much time in it. My experience so far is that this is like Monster Hunter World Pokemon Edition. Yeah, that, that's that's a good comparison. I actually hadn't heard that comparison. I thought that was pa- uh, apt. And I, I mean, thanks. I mean, I like that, though. I, I think Monster Hunter World was actually more convoluted in terms of like the extra research tasks on the NPCs you could talk to. And it seems to me that everything's kind of streamlined. Like you have the Pokedex and you could just look up everything you're doing there. You could look at a Pokemon in the wild and see, hey, do I need to catch this? What do I need to do? Does it help fulfill a research task? So I feel like it's just much better um, organized in terms of like what information is there if you want to complete all these additional tasks, etc. So it's, I mean, I liked Monster Hunter World and I liked it quite a lot, actually. So I'm just excited to see that style of play in the Pokemon universe in a way that feels a little more streamlined. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. it. My timeline is just blown up with people who are playing it. A lot of people I know are playing it, so I'm getting a lot of messages. This is, I mean, it's, uh, I think I had half a million on Twitch. Yeah, it was above... It was above your like League of Legends, um, like all those big ones. It was above for above all that for Twitch viewership, which is pretty wild. And then let's see, our Discord right now, I feel like nearly everybody yeah, in our Discord is playing Discord. it. Yeah, so the general channel has been taken over no, by we're, Pokemon. I think we're definitely I ended up getting it. I I read pretty much every review. It's one of those games where when it's on the fence, I feel like you consume way more content about it because you're trying to like get a read on. Okay, because because so many so many of the people who review stuff at gaming sites are, hey, we're gonna give this review to the Pokemon guy, like or gal, like the person sure. who's really into it. So it's rarely somebody who's just not like a massive Pokemon fan who's coming in and doing the review. So I was looking around the internet. I found some that was like, oh, okay, I can see. Anyway, we'll talk more about it, Jake, but I think what's there is, is actually really interesting. Like it's, it's, and, and I played, we talked about sword and shield. We have an episode that on that. You can go back and listen to it. Um, we talked about let's go as well. You can go listen to that. This is definitely a change up to the formula that I actually really like. I think it, I think it looks mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. So we'll see how far I get into it, but at least enough that we'll definitely do an episode on it. Yeah, absolutely. I think they considered a lot when making this, and now we have it. And I think finally Pokemon fans can uh, maybe pipe down a little bit about what... <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to talk about the Pokemon fan base. But maybe, maybe it, 
people can kind of be pleased or placated. That's the word I'm looking for, for a little bit, getting a new type of Pokemon mainline game. And I think that's a good thing. I'm glad that it's here. Absolutely. For a lot of reasons, right? And for my, myself included. So February is, it's uh, it's January 29th today. We have Pokemon in our hands. We're both playing that. Who knows how long that's going to take. Next week, we'll talk about Batman. Um, I mean, I'll tell you what my February is going to look like, Jake. I've got, yeah. if, if Dying Light 2 as I've already mentioned many times, I think there's a, there's sort of a storied history to this game, especially on the PC. This game should be really good. And if it is, if it reviews really well, I'm planning on playing it and it looks like a beefy monster. I've got Sifu, then horizon forbidden West and then Elden ring. So that's, I don't know when I'm going to finish, especially those last two games. I have no idea. What are you planning on playing in February, Jake? In February, let's see. Um, Sifu, really, really excited about that one. Dying Light 2 is the exact game that I love to watch on Twitch. So I'm going to do that. Um, so there is a new entry. I don't know if it's a series or if this is a sequel. I'll be honest. But it's a small indie series, and it's called Ollie Ollie. You know, it's about it's just this little skateboarding game. Ollie Ollie World comes out, and it's it looks like a ton of fun, right? It's like a two D side scroller, but you're skating and you're doing tricks, and there's huge customization with your character and your board and everything. Um, and I believe that's even coming to Game Pass on day one. So I'm gonna pop in there for a little bit, um, and then I let's see. After that, we've got Destiny 2, The Witch Queen. Listen, that comes out three days before Elden Ring, and that's probably uh, what I'm going to give it. <laughs> probably going <laughs> to give it. Like, I was in a Discord, and somebody was asking, hey, who's prepping for day one raid for The Witch Queen? And I was like, I just, you know, I said this to myself. I was like, no, nah, man, I think those those days may have passed me by when it comes to Destiny 2. And so I was like, count me out. Like, I'm going to be playing Elden Ring. I, can, I don't have time to grind to get ready for a raid. Um, and then, of course, um, Elden Ring. I think when Elden Ring comes out, that's kind of what I'm going to be playing. And it'll be weird if I'm only playing one game. But if there's one game from one studio to make me do that, it's probably Elden Ring. Will Elden Ring have to be multiple episodes? That's what everyone wants to know. I think you and I will do one episode on it, and if the fans, if the listeners, if you all, especially our Patreon subscribers, um, because I'm putting up a ton of one-off episodes, mini episodes there, and I maybe I'll do like a mini series on Elden Ring there if people want it. Um, and that is a great segue into our Patreon pitch. We have a Patreon now. The link is in the description of this episode. You can find it. It's our pinned twi- tweet on our Twitter as well. We have two tiers. We have a tier that's for appreciation. It's our tip jar tier. That's $1 a month. And then our $5 tier, a few things are going in there. We are doing episodes. Our regular episodes will be extended with an extra two categories. Those categories are, you know, on a rotation basis. So today's Disco Elysium categories are going to be different than Metroid Dreads, two extra categories. 
And then um, we're posting a lot of one-off episodes. Like you all know, people who have listened to this podcast for a long time. I play tons of indie games, and so I'm putting up 15-minute episodes based on indie games that I've played. I've got two up there right now, one on Backbone, one on The Gunk. One on Eastward is coming up very soon, and then I'm doing, I've got an episode on Undertale, an episode on Packing, and an episode on Nycra. Those are all planned, and I've started writing out scripts for those. So that's what's happening there. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. If you are a Patreon subscriber, if you'd be interested to hear some guy named Jacob talk about some game called Elden Ring, I would love to do maybe a mini-series and put it up there. Um, But we will definitely have our own episode here, and I imagine it will be a very long one, and that one will be very free. Yeah, that's patreon.com slash preordercast. You can go find that and sign up however you want. And if you're listening already on the extended edition version of the episode, you just stick around while we close, and you will be we'll go right into those extended categories if not you get all of our regular content as you always have and with that jake today we're talking about a game called disco elysium uh this is a game that came out in 2019 and when it came out it did not have voice acting still a fantastic game but over the course of about a year they added the game was very successful and so they they created a version that was free to everyone who bought the game it was called um the final cut and it added complete voice acting to every line in the entire game yes and it's incredible um mm-hmm. anyway it's the game was already incredible with voice acting it's even more incredible jake how are we gonna break down disco elysium as usual we will be talking about disco elysium in four different categories the first one is the narrative we'll be talking about the story this will probably be the beefiest category of the night there is so much to say about the narrative uh, we will not be spoiling it but even then there's a lot to say there's a lot to say in terms of the voice acting how the lines are written how the story is delivered um essentially disco elysium is a narrative where the body is at war with itself and we're going to be talking a lot about that i have a lot of thoughts myself about that i know cameron has a lot of thoughts there too so that's our first category plenty to talk about there different characters how they're written what makes a well-written character i think is something that's worth discussing as well Our second category is mechanics. So this is essentially how you interact with the game, the different systems that are built within the game. Uh, There's a pretty significant points, like in terms of um, stats, like there's a pretty significant stats system in this game and how you manipulate those points. Um, This is also... Um, got some virtual dice. And so that's a big part of this game. And we'll be talking about chances and rolling for different things to occur. And uh, that leads us into our third category, which is the gameplay loop. So what's going to bring you back to this? Is there maybe an obvious cyclical pattern that's going to be able to rope you in for a play session and then set you up for the next play session or to keep you playing? So what is going on that way? And then in our final category, we talk about impact on the industry. This is a little more speculative. Here we talk about what we think this is going to do to the game industry and what we, what we think the ripple effects are. Who is picking up on those? How are they reacting? Why are they reacting? And so that is how we are going to talk about Disco Elysium tonight. 
So, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm not shy about saying that I think this is the best written game that I've ever played. I'm pretty sure. All right. I'm pretty sure this is the best written game I've ever played. The dialogue in this game, the writing in this game is essentially what kept me coming back to it and 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 seeing it all the way through uh from the beginning. And I mean, and the writing is so good and so expansive and so intricate that I could see my easily see myself coming back to this game, you know, in a year from now or six months from now and playing it again, just because there's so much variation to how you can proceed through the game, how much choice you have in terms of the breadth of this quote unquote detective RPG. This is a, this is a true and true RPG with very minimal mm-hmm. combat, quote-unquote. It's all about choice. The entire game is choice-driven. Dice rolls based off, and we'll talk more about this in mechanics, but dice rolls based off a huge array of attributes associated with you know mental, physical, emotional, uh, like stat groupings that they have, and then based off points in those, you roll and you get and you know you pass checks that that make different choices in the story but the narrative itself is this complex interweaving story surrounding a gentleman who you don't know the name of uh when you start <laughs> uh and i could just say the beginning but you woke you wake up in a drunken stupor with your tie hanging from the ceiling and your you've lost your shoes and your room is completely trashed and you have no context and no clue as to why any of this has happened. And so there's kind of two interweaving things. There's a, a detective story where you're trying to solve a murder with your, with your uh, co-detective Kim Kitsuragi, one of the best characters in all of gaming. Uh, fantastic <laughs> character. And you're trying to solve a murder, but then you're also at the same time alongside that uh, trying to figure out who you are. And kind of how this all ties together. And so with that, it just creates this this tapestry of just complex like the complexity here is sort of is off the charts. I mean, you're talking about everything from you know, dealing with emotional trauma to alcoholism to uh like the like uh, you know political ideologies across the spectrum communism yes. fascism uh, what does it mean to be neutral what does it mean to be liberal what does it mean to be mm-hmm. communist uh conversations go into the deepest depths of of like those super philosophical debates and arguments with random npcs in the world that don't even necessarily impact the main storyline but you can go off you talk about i mean racism you're having conversations yeah. about race all the time. You're making very intricate choices around that. It's just it's just ridiculous what what's been accomplished here from a writing standpoint. I I can't even begin mm-hmm. to unpack, but I mean what I described, that is the basis, but where it goes from there is just all over the place. Yeah. It, and you can take this game in so many different directions. It's it's wild sort of how horizontal this game is like how the width there of what you can do what you can say um the dialogue options a lot of them i think uh you know 
for example, like in Mass Effect, I think they kind of reflect maybe how you might respond or the Forgotten City, right? Like how you as the player, like some of your initial reactions to what some people are saying, like that's reflected in the game and you can respond appropriately. I feel like in Disco Elysium, it's different where there's a huge variety of responses that you can get, but it's all about how you are shaping the story of the protagonist. And I think it's a little less directed at the player um, themselves. So I think that's, I, I actually really appreciated that because you have such a complicated protagonist here. And I'm kind of just referring to him as a protagonist. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I thought his name was Dick Mullen for a while. And then <laughs> I don't even know where that name that's a, came that's a, from. That's a, fictional, that's a fictional detective character based on a story that exists in the world of the game. Yeah. <laughs> but because but because the game as you mentioned like it's not you the play, it's you're defining who the main character is as you play the game and yes. uncover the story. So your character actually by the end of the game can end up to be something or someone completely different. Yeah. Personality wise, now I think backstories are, are I think are the same, but personality wise and like who you are like as a person, that's morphed by the character as you play, which is crazy. It is wild, and I would like to explain a little bit how that happens. So as Cameron mentioned, you start the game uh in a drunken stupor, right? Uh, but it's more than that, in the sense of like you don't know exactly what chemicals have been passing through this guy's system. And you start with a conversation between different parts of your body, right? So there's your lymphic system. I think uh, empathy is one of them. Uh, Authority is one of them. So a lot of your like mind is divided up into different, uh, not even just like personality traits, but just like different attributes. And there are lots of them and they are not in agreement, right? And so you slowly come to this person like coming out of this void of different aspects of your body wanting different things of you as a person, as the protagonist. And then you, like Cameron says, you finally wake up and you're in a room you don't know where you are. And so clearly whatever you have just been through has just completely messed with your brain. And I like this a lot because it gives us a good reason as players to sort of find out who this main character is with the main character. The myth, the main character is coming out of uh, just forgetting, and it's a little more than a hangover, right? And and that that much is very obvious. Yeah, it's, fu- as, it's full bore amnesia, right? Yeah, he's just lost, right? Doesn't remember who he is, his name, doesn't even remember that he's a detective. And so the, one of my favorite things is, you get partnered up with Lieutenant Kim Kitsuragi, who, like Cameron said, I absolutely love this character. Fantastic character. And one of the first questions you can ask them is not only just who you are, but um, why are you following me, right? To somebody who you should be able to at least understand that is working in the police force with you. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. The main point that I want to get across here is that you really are learning who this character is and you as a player are making lots of decisions to sort of shape this person's personality after they've been wiped clean and they become this blank slate. And later you find out, and this isn't so much of a spoiler, is that this main character, whose name is actually Harry, you you find out that Harry was 
going through some serious trauma. And this was trauma that he was not really willing to reconcile in a healthy manner. He was trying to reconcile his trauma through drugs and through alcohol. And so there are many points in the story where your body, like this random dialogue will pop up. It will interrupt an interview and say something along the lines of, this person was doing drugs. You need to ask them where they got their drugs so you can have these drugs. And so that to me was some of the most powerful narrative in the sense where you're dealing with a body that has that is so addicted to substances that it is derailing your quest as a player to try to to try to solve a murder. And so I thought that was really impressive for me. Uh, I just I don't know. That really stood out to me in the sense of like, yeah, and, it and, is so hard to move forward. And the game lets right? you follow that. That yes. That's that's the beauty of it. Is the game lets you follow any and every one of those lines that like come into play, whether it's has to do mm-hmm. with alcohol, whether it has to do with drugs, whether it has to do with um you know, if it's a woman, like you can say like degrading, disgusting things and you can follow that line of questioning and just totally blow it up. Like you can like it's yeah. it, uh, just you talk about RPGs and the big thing with RPGs that the conversation gets had is like how much choice is there? And that's typically in the RPG conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That escalates for a lot of people. Like what, like how good of a game, game, I mean, some, some examples come to mind, like fallout new Vegas is generally widely beloved because of how much choice you have and how you can change the outcome of the game. Divinity original sin Two. One of our biggest episodes, we talk yeah. about that same thing. You can essentially break the game. Here, like, you can't really break the game, but you can essentially follow, you can essentially have conversations and any and solve issues in essentially any way that you want. There's only one decision near the end of the game that actually requires that you have a certain amount of stat in a specific stat in order sure. to pass yeah. it. Yeah. That's There's only one of those that I can think of, and then that kind of finishes the game, but... No, it just goes all over the place. I mean, it's based. It's it. I think one of the things that impressed me the most is is narratively is how fleshed out like the backstory of this world seems to be. Um, yeah, like the nation state of Revachol is is what the it's it's Revachol is the name of like the the nation. There's this. There was a war that happened between you know supposedly like a fascist communist war. And there was like a cap capitalist blah, 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 like that took over. And there's this deep, deep background. There's different races that have been like defined on the continent. There's like, you know, they talk about the different police jurisdictions. They're talking about unions. Mm -hmm. They're talking about the different interactions between the different races. But like I said, there's big, big conversations about racism and like what it means to be a racist. You have a whole line of conversation with, a, essentially like a like a Nazi type dude where yeah <laughs> I mean in light spoilers but like you basically have the option where if you have enough physical stat you can just punch the dude out and kind of check the conversation otherwise you have to have like a race debate with him and yes. what he will do is he will try and convince you using like intelligent language why racism is correct like his form of racism right. and the dialogue just goes like i mean it goes way down the rabbit hole i mean i'm talking like dozens (laughs) and dozens and dozens of lines of dialogue 
on this like racial racial speaking of the critical race theory conversation happening in, in our country right now it's like you sure. gotta go read like it's it's just ridiculous anyway you can follow that mm-hmm. and then you basically have to like convince him that either you agree with him or you have to convince him to your side where you kind of take him out of his line of thought but in order to do that you have to have enough stat in you know the certain aspects of the the certain attributes that will allow you to manipulate the conversation if you don't you'll fail those checks and you'll have to do things differently anyway it it just goes places man and it's it's you know and we don't want to spoil anything because there are major plot twists and major just craziness that happens you have no idea honestly in my opinion like what's going to happen until really almost the very end of the game you just have no clue what the outcome is going to be uh and it throws you for a loop a lot it it takes you on wild goose chases it just it goes off but i can't say enough good things about this narrative like i said <laughs> one of the best narratives if not the best writing like just just the writing i i i can't even really describe what i think i think the the writing the example you gave with the alcoholism and like the drugs thing mm-hmm. the conversations that the main character has in his head so what they do is they take different systems of the body, like the brain and like the limbic yeah. system, and they describe them in the game, and they give each of them different voice actors. And so when they talk yes. to you, it's different voices like saying different things, and just the writing that goes with those is just phenomenal. I mean, it just pulls you yeah. all the way in. Yeah, something... I mean, just on a very light level, I think this is a little bit relatable. Sometimes you want to eat an entire cake. You're like, man, I should eat that entire cake. That would be really good. I really want that. And then a little voice in the back of your head is like, dude, if you eat that whole cake, you're gonna, your stomach is going to hate you for the rest of the week. And you're like, yeah, but I kind of want to eat that. So like, that is just like a little silly snapshot example of like these types of debates that are happening constantly in Disco Elysium. Like I said, they will happen at random sporadic moments. You might accidentally trigger those in a conversation and it might lead you down a rabbit hole. The absolute depth to this game is something that really, really is is surprising and really well done. I want to circle back to something Cameron said. So you do have a conversation with this racist. His name is Measurehead in the game. And um, he uses a lot of intelligent language. That's what Cameron said. And what I like about this game, especially, I mean, these people, the people who wrote the game, they know all sorts of academic buzzwords and terms and things about different economic philosophies, different moral philosophies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Something that was really interesting about this particular conversation with Measurehead, who's trying to convince you over to his, you know, racist ideology, is that... um, It, there is so much that's being said that is sounds so convoluted that it must be intelligent because the words are really big and there's some random line of, of logic in there. And I think what this game does a really phenomenal job of is that uh, when it comes to these debates about ideology, about philosophy, a lot of them are very muddled and very confusing. And a lot of it is that confusion is trying to be leveraged as authority to sort of intimidating you into believing something, right? And uh, that happens all over the case, or like all over the place in this game. It's all over. And I thought that it was super well done, especially because you are, uh, as the protagonist, Harry, is in a very vulnerable position. 
and you as a player kind of have to make the decision. Do I subscribe to Measurehead's racist ideology just so because he is clearly the biggest roadblock before I can advance in my murder investigation? And you will even get dialogue options that are like that. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to go along with this guy because I need him to cooperate for something. And so I thought that was really fascinating as well, where it's like, to what degree are all these like very seemingly you know, highfalutin, highbrow, intelligent conversations actually worth anything um, when the reality of the story is that, hey, we're trying to solve a murder mystery. Like, I'm really not interested in your racist crap. How can I get through this? And I think that was a type of frustration that translated really well to gameplay and choosing through dialogues and how you were going to make things happen. And we're just focusing on one example. This stuff crops up left and right throughout the game and the thing is, too, is <clears throat> I kind of did this for a lot of the playthrough. I said what I thought the NPC wanted me to say just so I could get them to do what I wanted them or what I wanted them to do to solve the murder, right? So that's kind of how I played this game. I think you could play it that way, but you could also just go down. There's like a 9,000 rabbit holes <laughs> and pick one and just dive into it. And you can you can go a lot of different ways and end up with a in a lot of interesting and really wild conversations. Jake, we've alluded to some of it, but um, so mechanically, um, I mean, it's just it really the bait that like the main portion of the game is you've got this sort of tap, this array of different um, attributes like, you know, empathy, uh, str- you know, physical strength, stamina um intelligence mm-hmm. uh, awareness i mean there's there's a dozen of them right there do, you know more than a dozen of i think there's i think there's like 20 or 24 different attributes you can level up yeah like logic interfacing physical instrument right empathy authority yes there are a lot yeah there's mm-hmm. just a ton and each of those will have impacts in your conversations that you have with NPCs in order to pass checks. And so there's a couple different ways that you can play the game. What I started, I was trying to like make a character build, but the, I think the challenge I ran into there is that there's so many different attributes that it's kind of hard to make like a specific build quote unquote. And so what I ended up doing actually is I would figure out like what attributes I would need to get like certain parts of a conversation in the way that I wanted my character to be formed. And then I would go in and I would like select those attributes before going into a check. And you could totally play that way. And the game lets you do that. There's checks that you can't re-roll those. You have to be careful with that. So that will depend on decisions you make. There's other checks that you can re-roll. So you can basically just wait till you level up upgrade one of the stats and then you can go in and you can have a higher percentage and what happens is is any point of a conversation um so one of the big ones is when you're the body that you're figuring out who the person that you murdered right their body is hanging in like a town square like in a garden like by, by the town square so one of the first checks you have to pass is you have to go and you have to pass like essentially a gut check for the smell And so they have this, like, if you don't pass, you throw up and then you can't investigate the body because the smell is just too unbearable. So I actually failed that check 
on the first time. And so I couldn't investigate the body until day two after I had gotten like ammonia. You have to get this, this medication. And then you can wear pieces of clothing or carry equipment that will have that will uh, impact different stat rolls that will give you bonuses um, to different stats so you can pass them. And that's essentially the, the mechanics of the game. Um, you know, you can see on a map, you know, kind of all the different checks that you have available to you, which is kind of cool. Um, and then, yeah, it's really just going around talking to people, trying to gain more information that will take you further in the story of figuring out who you are, and and solving the mystery basically yeah yeah i at first i was i mean i'm looking at the chart now just so i can get all the names correctly at first i mean there are 24 different attributes you could level up and i thought to myself dang how am i going to get skill points and level all this stuff up well here's kind of what happens when you very very at the very beginning of the game before you start you pick essentially a class and it gives you a lots of points in certain categories and there are three of those to choose from or you can kind of create your own stat distribution and something that i learned very quickly is that you cannot level up all 24 attributes it's just not going to happen and and part of that is there's like an there's an xp bar and every 100 you know experience points you get another skill point that you can either spend on one of these attributes to increase it or you can use it to like internalize ideologies and those ideologies also will give stat points and um, something that I found is that in a lot of conversations you might get to the end of a conversation or you might unlock essentially the key you know dialogue option that's going to advance the story and it'll say and i'm going to give an example of one that i have like one that i had was a logic check and i had terrible logic i think my logic was like one or two so it said okay you have an eight percent chance of getting through this with a dice roll and i thought i am not prepared for that and i checked and i had a skill point i put another one in and usually every skill point was something like about 12 percent something like that so it bumped it up to 20 and what i liked about this conversation is that you could leave the conversation and then come back to it before you did the roll and so something else that's really crucial to your attributes and skill points is the clothing that you wear so if you're playing this game for the first time i highly recommend you play and hold down tab or whatever the button is on controller so you can see every single interactable item and you steal every single piece of clothing that you can because every piece of clothing is also going to affect your stats. So some clothing might give like plus one logic, but it gives minus one interfacing, something along those lines. And so in this conversation with logic, my logic sucked, but I checked my inventory and I had two different articles of clothing that could boost my logic. And so suddenly I went from a two, I added one more skill point, and then I had plus two from the clothes that I was wearing. And so doing math, that put me at five. And I went back to the conversation, and I had gone from like 8% to like, I don't know, 60% or something. And then I hit the roll, and I got the roll, and I advanced the conversation. Now, in a lot of times, you might fail, right? <laughs> I failed like a, a 92% roll, and I was ticked. <laughs> and you can't come back to that until you put another skill point in that. So if that was logic again, and I failed it and it was at 92, I'd have to get 100 XP, put a skill point into logic, and then I could redo that roll. Or 
you could just qu quick save before every meaningful conversation, quit out and load back up. So for that one that was 92%, you bet I quit out when I loaded back up because <laughs> I was ticked. Oh, yeah, I definitely um, saves coming all the time in this game. You, I feel like in this game, you you've to. got to. Yeah. You kind of have to, and I, I typically really dislike doing this, but there was a certain point, certain rules, and I think my biggest frustration with the mechanics was like if I had missed that 92% roll, I would have to get 100 extra XP to get one skill point <laughs> to put in that category to do that conversation again. Otherwise, it would be locked again. And the problem is, is that XP isn't necessarily obvious, like where you could get it. So if I had to grind out 100 extra XP, that meant I was going to have to talk to every single person I know, pick every single new dialogue option, and hope that there was like a plus 5 or plus 10 or plus 30 XP buried deep in somebody's conversation. Um, but I get why they have that XP bar there too, so you don't just like go into every single scenario 100% prepared. Yeah, this uh, that was that's probably my one negative with the game. If I had any, is that I did feel like you know stats that I just had completely buffed. I would have you know like a ninety percent chance to roll. I would sometimes miss though because it's a dice roll. It's a dice roll. Yeah. <laughs> I would be kind of pissed when that would happen and be like, "Screw that! It's ninety percent." And I would reload and just do it again because I was like, "Nope, I'm just not yeah. dealing with that." Sorry, this is the way I mm -hmm. want this conversation to outcome. Now that does you know. It's if you're a hardcore like D and D type who's like, nope, the dice roll rules all. Like you just kind of go with the flow, and you definitely can. You can definitely just go with the flow in this game. There are a few yeah. instances where you can't, where if you fail, like you're stopped in your tracks and you can't continue the story. You have to re-roll at a different time once yeah. once you go up a level, which I didn't love that either. I feel like you. I feel like it would have been better to just be able to re-roll immediately just because there's not much else to do except go have other conversations, which I guess that's, that's part of the design is like, it gets you out and talking yeah. to other people. But anyways, no, I, I mean, mechanically it's great. I think, um, going into the gameplay loop, I think, I mean, this game is just, if, if you don't like dialogue, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not the this game is not for the you. game for you. <laughs> that being said, this is some of the most incredible dialogue. Again, just to reiterate, the writing is just so good; it pulls you in. I mean, it's like a, an amazing detective novel. I mean, it really is. It's yeah. just like if this was mm -hmm. written into book form, like it would pull you in and it would be super engaging, yeah. super engaging. Yes. Uh, but gameplay loop wise, I mean, it's basically half conversation pass checks or fail checks which reveals new information which leads you to new conversations and then you yeah. do that during the course of a day at the end of the day uh kim kitsuragi retires you go to bed you have an interaction with your dreams or whatever which is a whole different thing you wake yeah. up you start a new day and then the game kind of moves forward in time one day and then you can either yeah. revisit the same conversations that you already failed from the day before, or you may have new things available to you. And that's pretty much it. Uh, there's also one part of the game where a whole another section of the game opens up based on yes. time, which happens, I think, at day three in the game. And I think yeah. the game in total is like five days or six days. Um, so 
I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, it's a really simple loop yeah. that where it gets the intricacies, though, are in, again, in those conversations. And I think one thing when I was texting you, Jake, when I was when you were early in the game, as I was saying, hey, just you got to really exhaust every conversation. Yes. As much as you possibly. Did you, are you sure you discovered every single thing? And I think that's, this is not a game where you just go talk to an NPC, you click through it a couple times and you're done. Like you have to go back and really explore the yeah. nooks and crannies of every conversation in order to figure out what's going on to figure out how to advance the story, to get new data, new information. Like you really have to do that. Yeah. Um, I would say the only other thing to add to the gameplay loop is that every single in game day has a whole new set of, uh, conversations to to be had. So, uh, there is, and this is getting back to the mechanic because some of these things are based on time. So like on the third day, this, the new section of the game is opened. Um, one of the tips that pops up a lot on the loading screens was like, uh, books are the best way to pass time. And there's a bookshop, and I ended up buying some book. And this I found to be relatively crucial. Now, I didn't skip much of the day, but I remember there was one day I needed to wait until I think it was 9 at night to have a conversation with a specific person, and it was like 5 and I was like, man, I've exhausted. I've gone pretty much everywhere. And so I whipped out the book and then it reads like a dialogue option and you can keep reading or you can quit reading whatever you want. But essentially, most dialogue you know, options would pass 15 minutes of time. And so I was able to do that really fast, like get ahead in time and then and go do something else. And so I did appreciate that because it did help you advance when you felt like you were stuck or there's something you really wanted to get done. Um, I will say the first two days are really the only days where you might do that, though, because the rest of the game, which takes place in just not not that not, not that long. I don't want to get into quite how many days, but um, yeah, having a book is essential, I think, for the first two days. But then after that, you're busy and there's so much to do. And like I said earlier, I would just highly recommend walking around with whatever button you need to press to highlight whatever is interactable and interacting with every little thing is going to be beneficial, right? It might not be necessary, but it's going to be beneficial uh, in some capacity. I remember I randomly ran into like somebody who made dice for tabletop games, and I decided to buy a pair of dice. Like, why not? And I came back, uh, picked them up, and then I, the next day I had a conversation with somebody, and under the it lists all your stat buffs from your items, and one was plus one, like has dice you have dice on you and i was like oh man that actually was beneficial because it just like increased my you know roll chance by 12 percent. this is great i'm gonna use it so in the gameplay loop yes um i mean cameron i think you summed it up really well uh, i would say that this is one of those games where like doing side quests as part of your gameplay is so beneficial to the outcome of different uh, roles and checks that you're going to have in the game. So super crucial. And then one last thing I want to mention, there are a few checks where you cannot leave the conversation, gear up and come back to them. And there's not too many and it doesn't really matter what the outcome is because it'll still advance. But I think that was kind of, actually, the first time it happened, I was annoyed. But when it happened later I was actually really appreciative of it because it it, it just a 
it forced me to have to deal with some consequences. Like you cannot go into every single scenario completely prepared. And I think that made a lot of sense as a detective, you know, somebody who's trying to solve a murder and a lot of people do not want to cooperate. In fact, nobody wants to cooperate with you. And it kind of, I think it made sense for this type of RPG where you have to learn to expect the unexpected. And that's where a lot of the joy of this game comes from. Uh, So I, I, learn to really appreciate those moments there was a couple things i wanted to look up just to add some color context to the game so the game is written by a guy named robert kurvitz who is from estonia which explains eastern europe heavily you're gonna see (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna see some major eastern european influences in this in the dialogue of the game which makes total sense yes and actually i think it's set in a it looks like there's a he wrote a book back in 2013 called Sacred and Terrible Air, which I don't think is available in English. It's an Estonian book, but anyway, this is a writer. He, this guy, the he it's uh, and I don't know if this is confirmed. There is a source on Wikipedia, but it says he this guy produced about half the total in-game text, half a million words, uh, which is just crazy. So. So this is another wow. case, and I think this takes us into impact on the industry. This is another case, similar to Forgotten City, where you have a writer sort of leading the development on a game, which is just sort of a fascinating... And I'm trying to think of... Uh, you know what's interesting about that, Jake, is that there are some other examples of that, major examples of that in the industry. One being... Um, I'm going to tell you his George R. R. Martin working on Elden Ring. No, not not. I mean, <laughs> he he helped create the world. I'm talking about like Ken Levine. Do you know who that is, Jake? Oh, that that's a Bioshock. So dude, he's right? the Bioshock dude, and he is. I mean, he's widely regarded as like a rock star gaming creator. Although Jason Schreier just re- released an article and he talks about it in his book as well, how Ken, Ken Levine is one of those like ultra toxic visionaries. Um, and apparently, yeah, yeah. Apparently he has a studio right now at 2k, uh, which I believe 2k is owned by take two who also owns rockstar. If I'm not mistaken, I could be saying that completely wrong. So just ignore me if that's incorrect, but it's something like that. Anyway, he's supposedly working on a game and has just been spinning his wheels for the past like six or seven years, but the studio is just letting him keep going because That's he's wild. like a rock star. But anyway, the point being is that you have these situations where these where these writers are coming in and sort of leading games. Actually, I think Destiny is the same thing. The guy from lead designer from Halo. No, Destiny Two. It's um, Luke Smith is the game director. He is a he was a former games writer at IGN. Went over to Bungie and eventually he got into game design and he became the game director. So anyway, it's just interesting. Like when you look at these games and I mean, Forgotten City is one that's obviously closer to this one, but led by a writer when they're narrative led, it just leads to these interesting, I think, outcomes. Obviously, Forgotten City, again, much closer to what this manifests, but I think for me, like it's it I think it's it creates a much more interesting dynamic in the game because when the writing is so well done, I think that just amplifies the rest of what the game has to offer. And so when mm-hmm. 
Forgotten City is the same way. Just the writing is just so excellent and so clear and so descriptive that the world just becomes so much more alive. So anyway, in terms of impact on the industry, I think as with any tech, the point that I'm making is as the industry gets older and older, I think you're going to have more opportunities for people who don't necessarily have technical backgrounds to come in and help help technical people and des- and like designers and artists and, and programmers create like really ex- excellent narrative experiences like sort of across the board that are that are narrative led um because if you can create a game like Disco Elysium that doesn't have very much combat or a game like Forgotten City same thing just really doesn't have a lot of combat but it's just excellent because of how good the writing is how good the narrative is I, th- I I hope that we see way more of that. Obviously, there's other examples where you have, you know, you've got Firewatch and you've got, you know, Edith Finch and you've got those sort of walkthrough games. But these are more like RPGs and they're RPGs that are not led by violence. They're more like focused on the writing. Anyway, I'm kind of going off the rails here, but I think you get what I'm talking about, Jake. <laughs> I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, impact on the industry, writing, storytelling, um, this obviously borrows a lot from how novels are written and told, which makes sense because the lead writer had written a novel. He's a novelist, right? And I just think that this is a good way of illustrating, like taking a lot of the artistic merits and strengths of other artistic mediums and being able to translate them into a video game. Like you said, Cameron, I think it's crucial to note that, um, Disco Elysium is an RPG. It's an RPG with a really, really fantastic story. Now, all RPGs, are that's going to be a big part of what they are, is the story, the narrative. But to have somebody whose background is, you know, as a novelist, to approach the, the narrative that's going to shape and interact how other things happen in the story, we see what the result of that is. Absolutely. Now... Does this... I would I would love to see more novelists maybe get into into video games in that way. And I think um, maybe what is happening is that there probably are more than we know. And probably what's happening a lot more is that you just get people who um, are fresh out of college with English degrees and they're getting hired straight into video games. And so the writing expertise is really, uh, I would say, grounded in video games as a medium. I'm also kind of rambling and going on lots of tangents, but honestly, that... This tone works for this game because this game has a thousand tangents, even though you're trying to solve one murder. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's kind of hard to say. I, I guess what I'm really trying to get at is um, I think people will look at Disco Elysium and I think they'll also look at uh, just the content matter that it is discussing and be like, you know what? We can tackle this stuff head on. We need. We could be talking about racism a little more, and obviously, I'm, I don't think Disco Elysium necessarily is talking about racism in the. How do I say? I, I don't mean best way in a neg. I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but it's certainly presenting racism um, in a way that you can interact with it for good or for worse, right? Um, but let's maybe when it's talking about like uh, economic policy or political belief systems just really getting messy with all of that. I think that's where I'm getting at is I think narratively people could look at disco and Lisa and be like, you know what? These topics are incredibly messy 
and we can work with that and we can make that into a video game where people have to confront these types of beliefs. And I think it's really easy um, for people to try to fall into the mindset of like, hey, keep politics out of my video games when games like this make you realize that politics are deeply embedded in video games no matter what you believe, right? And that you have to grapple with that messy reality. Um, Yeah, man, I'm rambling hard. Disco Elysium is a great game, though. People are going to be looking at it, and people are going to be trying to write messy stories like it I think the the impact on the industry is, hopefully, is that because I don't think there is really any other game like Disco Elysium. Um, Certainly there are RPGs. Certainly there are games with branching narratives. Certainly there are games with really good writing and dialogue and, and, and what, and what have it. But the way that Disco Elysium executed its story and its setting and how it did so with very, very little violence in the game, like it's really just an RP. It's a decision-making RPG period. That's it. That's all you're doing is just making decisions. There's no mechanics outside of that. There's no combat system. There's no like roll for hit. There's no, you know, whatever, I hope we see more of that, uh, especially in the indie scene. I hope, and this is the great thing about the indie scene that we always bring up, is that the indie indie games are where the most innovation is going to happen. And so I hope we see something like Disco Elysium style situation with AAA-like investment. And I think, bringing this back to industry, stuff like the Activision acquisition by by xbox i think is going to lead to more stuff like that and i think that's Mm, one of the positives and the reason i say that is because as the model as the gaming revenue model moves towards the subscription model more of a subscription model over a one-time purchase model you're going to see more variety in the games that studios get to create because it's just about getting game pass subs instead of just having <laughs> the most massive amount of revenue from one single kind of game. All podcast episodes lead back to Game Pass. This is true. <laughs> I mean, I think the whole gaming industry, I guess what I'm trying to say, is going to lead back to Game Pass. I think eventually that is going to be the model for for pretty much everything. Um, and I think there's some there's some good to that. I know people don't like to not have their physical copies of games, and I think you still will have physical copies of pretty much everything for a while. But anyways, Disco Elysium, Jake, uh, fantastic, incredible game. That if you haven't played yeah. this, there's there's really nothing like it. The writing is incredible. I promise you, this is going to be an experience that you won't regret. If you're used to just playing kind of a typical style of game like a roguelike or an action rpg or a first person shooter and you haven't given into any of these like pure story games before this is this is worth giving a shot it's also very cheap i think it's like 15 dollars on steam it's regular regularly discounted out of like eight bucks yeah and it's on all major platforms at this point too additionally it's fully voiced so you do not have to sit and just read endless lines of text. Uh, it's fully voiced. So, and the and the voice acting is incredible. The voice acting really, really is incredible. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's it's got to be some of the best voice acting I've I've heard, and just the variety and yeah, it's it's just 
really phenomenal. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Pre-Order Bonus Podcast. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at PreOrderCast. Follow me, Cameron, at MassGenericJake at Jacob underscore ChipDip18. Uh, please, if you're not already, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That's really what helps us get more viewers is the more we appear in the top charts of gaming for podcasts, the more people will find us and follow us and listen to us. So that is the thing. If that's, if that's something you want to do to help, that's probably the number one thing you can do to help. Otherwise, you can also find us on Patreon. Like we already said, patreon.com slash preordercast. Yep. Link is in the description. You can join us at the $1 tier if you just want to give us a tip every month if you like our content or if you want more you want extra content, you want two additional categories in your episodes, you want extra one-off episodes from Jake and from me on different games that we don't talk about regularly, uh, you can get that if you sign up on patreon.com at the $5 tier. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate all of you and have a great night.